Would you open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 20? Uh, we will be studying verses 19 through 31 this morning. While you're turning there, could I, could I ask for prayer for you, from you? Um, immediately I need prayer because I was doing final edits to the sermon this morning. As it was about 8.30. I went to get a drink of water and I came back to my computer and everything was gone. So could you pray for me this morning? Um, thanks to my wife, I was able to find some of it. And uh, um, we'll, we'll just trust the Lord and the, and the word he's given us. Secondly, next weekend, uh, just have a real privilege. My oldest son is a worship minister at a church in uh, Flower Mound, Texas, called The Village. And he and I have been asked to lead a father-son retreat in Houston next week. And uh, I'm just, I can't believe the privilege that I get to do a conference with my son. Um, it's going to be four messages on uh, about God the Father. And, uh, and then Sunday I'll be able to get to minister to our, our Sovereign Grace Church in Pearland. And then have some meetings with their leadership Sunday evening and Monday. So if you could keep me in prayer for all of that. Okay, especially if my computer's going wonky. Um, so if you can keep me in prayer for all of that. Well, in our last sermon um, in the Gospel of John, uh, we studied about our risen Savior and how he transformed Mary Magdalene's weeping into worship. So this morning, our text really speaks deeply again to our hearts. You know, God doesn't want to just give information to our minds. He really wants to go to the heart about pain and purpose. God's, God's word today is going to address the difference the risen Christ makes. So let's see if you've had any of this this week. For anyone who's fearful. Have you had that this week? Maybe even today. Maybe worried. Maybe worry has come with your fear. Discouraged? Have you just been discouraged? Maybe low-grade depressed? You feel defeated? and you've, You're trying so hard, but you still feel so defeated. You ever feel like you have more doubt than faith? I believe God wants to speak to our hearts this morning. And if that's not your recent experience, it will be again. And how all of that, have you ever noticed that when those things are happening to us, it just really tempts us to lose our focus on the purpose God has for our lives. So you're, you're not only dealing with those issues internally, isn't it then that you, you grow in kind of a secondary hopelessness kind of starts rising up because you start kind of losing track as to why you even exist. Boy, God's word is going to speak to all of that this morning. So the main point of our sermon I'm going to give to you even before we read the text it's this, so this is in your notes. The risen Savior transforms great fear into great peace so that we can fulfill the great commission. That's what that risen Savior does. Believing in him will transform even the greatest of fears into an even greater peace. 
because we have a purpose, don't we? There's a great commission that he's called us to live. So as we read the text this morning, this text has been known as the Great Commission according to the Gospel of John. And see if you can see why as we, as we read it this morning. So this is John um, chapter 20, beginning in, in verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark uh, of, of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In his name, would you pray with me? Oh, dear Lord, God, this, 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 this declaration of Jesus, peace be with you, peace be with you. Three times, peace be with you. Lord, we, we certainly individually can know what that feels like. Lord, our world knows what that feels like. God, especially with all the the happenings and the sorrow and the death and terror and war that's going on in Israel and Gaza. Oh God, our world is desperately in need of hearing Jesus say, peace be with you. God, you've taught us to pray for the peace of Israel and we, we do that this morning. And 
We know that among the things you hate, you say you hate hands that shed innocent blood. You hate hearts that devise wicked plans. You hate feet that make haste to run toward evil. So God, we, in, this, in this, this time where there's such a need for, for moral clarity, a biblical backbone, courage, and compassion, God, help us to stand up. And we, we pray for the swift defeat of Hamas. God, the murderous plots are so like the, the, the murderous plots that we've seen throughout the Old Testament history. And those, those plots, that kind of government will never provide good leadership for the Palestinians. We pray for their defeat for the sake of the Palestinians. Please bring them to an end of this terrorism and to this war. And we pray that that the people you've made in your image, regardless of their ethnicity, could experience an end to this conflict, whether Jew or Palestinian. Please, oh God. And Lord, please, in the midst of this, help us to not allow a righteous anger over injustice and evil turn into revenge. God, that's not only true of, the, of what's going on there. God, it, it, in the name of justice, Lord, there's so much in the name of justice that's going on in our nation that's really just a, 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 a disguise, a covering for revenge-filled hearts. Please save us from that. Help us to weep with those who weep, both in Israel and in Gaza. Oh, Lord, we pray that for the best peace that could ever happen for Israel, And for the best peace that would ever happen for any person of any ethnicity would be to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what we pray for, Lord. Please bring revival to Israel through the gospel. Please bring revival to that region because of the gospel. Please grow your church in that region. Please advance your kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, you said in Zechariah chapter 8 that people from all languages and nations would one day take firm hold of one Jew and say, let us go with you because we've heard God is with you. Well, Lord, we know who that Jew is. Please bring this prophecy to pass. Bring people from all nations to take firm hold in faith upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, we trust that because of that finished work, Revelation says a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language will stand in front of the throne and before Jesus, converted Jews and Gentiles all together, clothed in Jesus' righteousness, one beloved bride, one gloriously redeemed people, one forever family that are filling the new heavens and the new earth. Oh God, we long for that day. We long for that day. So until then, Lord, in Psalm 62, we find our rest in God alone. Our hope comes from him. Help us to not put our hope in chariots or horses, but in the empty tomb of Jesus and the throne that will be forever occupied by Jesus. 
And we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our first point this morning is that the risen Christ gives us peace. And we're going to start unpacking that in John 20, verse 19. That text says, on the evening of the resurrection, the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's day. So you start to already see what we're doing even today. They were starting to gather on Sunday, remembering the resurrection. Every Sunday, we should be remembering the risen Savior. Uh, Revelation calls this day the Lord's day. The doors were locked. The word literally means bolted. So picture, picture bolted. Have you ever like bolted and then you move a heavy dresser in front of the door and then you move a couch in front of the door? Kind of get that picture. There was a lot of fear going on here. And they were afraid of the Jews because they were afraid that the same persecution that Jesus experienced, perhaps the same death that Jesus experienced was going to come to them. And behold, Jesus stands among them. Three things. We see great fear here, don't we? And again, how are you doing in that regard? We see the doors being locked to try to protect themselves. How are you doing with that? Man, isn't that the knee-jerk reaction to fear is just self-preservation? But, you know, it's one thing to have self-control as given by the Spirit so that we don't respond in fear. Guys, it's another thing to try to take control of your life. It doesn't help things, if you've ever noticed. I just notice that a lot about my life. Uh, So they're they're just self-protecting, they're self-preserving, and Jesus appears out of nowhere. John Calvin said that Christ worked a miracle and opened the locked door. Others say that the wonders of Jesus having this physical resurrected body, this glorified, wonderful resurrected body, that, that, that body had such properties in it that though it were physical, could just pass through doors. Similarly to the way they passed, remember when we studied the resurrection and he just passed through the grave clothes and left them because death was done with, wasn't it? That's was just such a good, such a good thought. Guys, our risen Savior can do what no one else can do and go where no one else can go. I know many of us are really praying for loved ones who don't know Christ. Loved ones who are enslaved to different forms of addiction. Loved ones who just are so angry and atheistic about God. Loved ones who maybe are trapped in same-sex attraction. Loved ones, there's so many issues facing our world today. And isn't it good to know that Jesus can go where no one else can go. I try to go where, where there's a need in my family, but I can never go where Jesus gets to. I'm so glad he can go. And he knows and forgives our deepest, darkest, and most secret sins. He stands with us to give us love and strength to overcome the temptation that we have to keep on sinning even after we've been a believer. He can go with us to where you're most deeply scarred. Where is that for you? He can go there where you're most deeply broken, whether it's by your own sin or whether you've been horribly sinned against by someone else. Jesus can go to that deepest part of your brokenness to heal your broken heart. Amen. The risen Christ can go where no counselor can go. 
He can go where no pastor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no spouse or parent or friend can can go. Guys, there is no fear or doubt or despair or defeat or discouragement or shame that you face that the risen Savior can't go and deliver you from. We're so, so, so happy about that. And isn't it great that Jesus doesn't wait until we have enough faith or figure out our lives before he makes himself known to us. He's doing it right now. He's doing it right now. He meets us where we are, and he gives us faith to trust and follow him. He's seeking out the disciples. Did you notice that? They're not looking in the highways and byways for him. He's coming to them just like through his word and by his spirit. He is literally coming to you right now. Man, I love that thought. He didn't, they didn't seek him out. He sought out Thomas. They, Thomas didn't seek him out. And instead, for those of you who just think, man, I've just blown it too many times. I'm almost afraid to turn to the Lord because he's just going to read me the riot act. Instead of rebuking them, they abandoned him. Remember, their last earthly thing they, the, the, the last thing they did before Jesus died was to forsake him. What, what kind of greeting would you expect if you had done that? And what does Jesus say? Peace be with you. That's such an important point that Jesus says it three times in these short numbers of verses. Twice without Thomas with them. And then he repeats it the next week when Thomas is with them. But it wasn't just words, guys. Do you notice he showed them his hands inside? I mean, you're, <laughs> I've told you, a show I like is Blue Bloods. Some of you may go, does Pastor really have a TV problem? I got to know Blue Bloods sitting with my mom as she was nearing the end of her life. And... Uh, I didn't know, but I didn't even know what it was. But it gave me a sweet time with my mom. And then I discovered that they, every time, they they meet as a family, and they say, "We don't meet for dinner. We meet to meet one another in our hearts. We meet to, to help each other." And so it's just a sweet thing. But it's a cop show, right? And so when you're taking the, a witness statement, you know, you say things like. Were there anything, uh, you know, so it's not just an issue of, of race. It's not just an issue of height or weight. They asked for, were there any distinguishing marks on them? Was there a tattoo? Was there a scar? Well, we could say that Jesus is saying, there's some pretty distinguishing marks on me. And these marks are for your good. These marks are for your benefit. But they weren't just marks of the crucifixion and the resurrection and how he had overcome death and defeat. It was marks that were fulfilling scripture. Isaiah, this is in your text. This is in your notes. Isaiah 53, 5. Do you remember what what Isaiah prophesied? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's what those scars were saying. 
They were showing us that the peace that was promised by Isaiah was purchased by Christ. That's why I can, I, I, I'm so excited for you to experience a fresh, fresh experience of God's peace this morning. And you know why? Jesus paid the price for your peace. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to try to make up for all the junk you've done wrong. Jesus paid the price so you can have peace this morning. What kind of peace would that be? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One I would call the peace of justification. What is justification? Well, Romans 5.1 says we've been justified by faith in Jesus. Justification means two things. That there was this great exchange that took place when somebody gets saved. Is that your sin and the punishment your sin deserves, it, 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 it's put upon Jesus. He takes what you deserved. And the forgiveness and righteousness that you didn't deserve, it's put on you. So that you can stand before God, not just forgiven, but declared to be righteous with an equivalent righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because he's given you, he's counted you righteous in his righteousness. All of those obedient acts that he did, he credits to you. To, to conquer and overcome all of our disobedient acts. So think about this. We're forgiven. We're declared righteous. That's the peace of justification. And it's eternal. For all eternity, you are in a right standing with God because of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for you. That will never change. Regardless of how guilty you might feel today, isn't it wonderful to go back and look at that cross and remember all of God's justice was satisfied there. All of the punishment my sins deserve were satisfied there. Past, present, and future, all was paid for. That's really good news. Do you need that kind of peace today? How about the peace of adoption? Do you know that because of Adam, all of us were orphaned? We were all orphaned. We were all separated from God by our sin. But when Jesus dies for us, you guys, Jesus didn't die just so you could just be a slave of God. Just so you could be a servant of God. He died to make you sons and daughters of God. Doesn't that have a different feel to it? Are you kidding? I get to be a son of a perfect father? And Jesus paid the price for you to have a perfect father. How many of us need the affections of a father this morning? The affections of a father who's wise and all-knowing and all-powerful, all-loving, all-patient, all-forgiving. Oh, there's peace that God wants to give. The peace of adoption. Fatherly affection. Just so you know that when you experience the peace of justification or the peace of adoption, that doesn't mean that immediately your pain just goes away, okay? Talk to me. I, I, know, I know pain. It doesn't mean your pain just goes away. You, have, you might have horrible regrets from your past and you still regret them. There's still a point of pain to what you go through. There's still a memory of what has been done for you. But here's the good news about this. The pain doesn't necessarily end, but it's no longer paralyzing. 
It's the paralysis of pain that is really doing a number on a lot of us. We can experience progressive healing as sons and daughters of God. We can live a wonderful, thriving life even as the pain is healed progressively over time. Does that make sense? You are not a slave to your past sins or to what the crimes that some other person has done to you. There's a peace that's inward. Isn't that great news too? You don't have to wait for that person to feel bad enough so that you'll have peace. That they'll feel bad enough for what they've done for you. That's locating, what you're doing is, I'm, I'm looking for peace in their repentance. I'm looking for peace in their penalty being paid, that they pay a price for what they did to me. No, no, no. Jesus goes where no one else can go to give you peace. Irrespective if they ever repent. That's hope, precious ones. All you need is Jesus and his peace. How about the peace of direction? What do I mean by that? Philippians 4, wonderful passage that says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. And the peace of God, which goes beyond explanation, right? So you can't explain it by people or circumstances or sickness or anything like that. It, it, listen, the world looks for that kind of peace. Let's get peace through a pill. Let's get peace through some, some sort of sex relationship. Let's, let's get peace through a dollar sign. Let's get, oh, that's, ex, that's explainable and temporary, this is peace that goes beyond explanation because it comes from Jesus. You can have this peace in the worst, having going through the worst trial of your life, right? It's such good news. But the peace says it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Boy, don't some of us need that today. I feel like I'm being so attacked from condemnation or worry or fear. So often it's about a family member. So often it's about feeling that we're going to fail and fall short. There's just so many things that can bring it about. But it not only is the peace of, uh, that guards your heart and mind. The word literally means umpire. <laughs> what a funny thing. To say. What a funny, that peace can be the umpire of your heart, meaning that peace isn't just, it's, it's not just a guardian, it actually is a guide. God wants to use peace as your guide. How many of you have prayed like this? Oh, dear God, please show me the right way. There's these two choices, two jobs, two churches, two cities, two boyfriends. I don't know why I've done boyfriends. I mean, you got a good problem, I guess, but. But you've got, you've got this, this, this choice to make. And oh Lord, please show me in the right direction because if I choose the right thing, I can have peace. You guys, we have a way better father than that. You know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to give you peace to guide you in the right direction. Anybody need that kind of peace today? I've been so looking forward to being with you this morning. I just really, there's moments that it just seems like there's this convening of all of our lives where we have a lot of common issues together. And, and we all need to hear Jesus say, peace be with you. And lastly, there's going to be peace in perfection. 
because one day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah describes it this way, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. With righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. (laughs) The understatement of the Bible. And the disciples were glad (laughs) when they saw Jesus. Are you kidding? Of course they were. And may we be glad too. But now let me ask you this. Were they glad because all peace has arrived? So let me ask you, is the goal of peace, peace? Let's just think about that. I just, guys, I am so shallow. I, and I'm so self-centered. I so often think that, that the, what I most need is the end of my need. It's, it's like, it's like um, I, I need joy. And the whole goal of getting joy is joy. Is that the goal for a Christian? Is that, is that the goal of peace? Well, let's find out what the next verse says. And I think that's going to answer our question. What is the goal of having peace? Oh, second point is the risen Christ gives us purpose. And that's in verse 21. Jesus says this, As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Before before he sends them, he gives them peace. He says it a second time, but now, so this is the second time he's saying it, but now it's totally connected to our mission. I don't know how many believers just consciously put those two together. I don't. This was so humbling. I'm just going, oh my goodness, have I, been a, have I even read my Bible? You know, <laughs> it was just a joy to realize that God wants to give us peace as the foundation of our mission, the foundation of our serving him. First peace, then mission. We often try to find peace in doing work for Christ. Christ wants our work to be flowing out of peace. That's not just for pastors or missionaries. That's for husbands and wives. You know, some of the biggest marriage conflicts are because you're trying to find peace outside of Christ and outside of your own heart. You're looking for that spouse to give you that sense of well-being and peace. Now, what would happen in marriage if we daily look to the Lord for peace? And now we loved our spouse. How about for moms and dads? How many times do we strive and we work and we cry because we're hoping if we'll be just good enough parents, then we'll have peace. And God says, how about let me give you peace first and now go be a parent. How often are you going, like in your morning devotions, are you saying, Lord, before I get up, please help me have just a restored peace with you as as my Savior and my Lord. It's an amazing thing. Peace in your vocation before you go to work. I put this one down. Peace in your vacation. (laughs) Because how many of us have such hopes about vacation and we come home so stinking disappointed because we're looking for that vacation to give me the great peace thing. How How about go and have peace first and then have vacation? In your morning devotions, his peace is the foundation. And so here's here's what he's saying. So peace I, I give to you so that as the Father sent me, so I send you. 
So this is going to be some notes in, in your handout. First one is this. Being sent is to be our identity as much as it is the identity of the Father and the Son. When you think of Christian identity, do you think of mission as a part of your identity as a believer? Or do you think of mission as just this, this option? It's kind of a cafeteria, Christian cafeteria plan. You know, I, you know I want, what do I want in, a, in my Christian life? Well, I want a Christian spouse, and I'd love for my kids to be saved. And then, well, well how, uh, the mission? Ah. I'm pretty busy right now. You know, it's, it's almost like we look at mission as it's some option rather than a part of our identity as his people. So there's a couple of, there's kind of longer quotes, but they are so good. And I think they'll serve our souls well. So this is by Edward Clink from his commentary on John. So in, in, this is in the notes. Before the world even knew of its condition or could recognize its creator, God sent himself to the world. God is the first and foundational missionary. The fact that God sent is itself a declaration regarding the true nature of God. It's his identity. The actions of God are a reflection of the very life of God. That God's own life is gospel-shaped. And you you love that? I love that sentence. God's own life is gospel-shaped. Just as God is rightly described as loving or sovereign, he's also rightly described as missionary. Let's keep reading. The church's participation in the mission of God is ultimately participation in the life of God. And the response of the church to the mission of God is a response to the nature of God and more specifically to the missionary nature of God. The church's worship of God must match the full nature of God. Great example here. Just as the holiness of God prescribes to the church the goal and manner of its holiness, be holy, because I am holy. So we understand that there's an identity statement there. So also the missionary nature of God prescribes to the church the goal and manner of its mission. Ultimately then, if God is to be properly described as missionary, then appropriate Christian worship of God can only be done by a missionary church. The lack of missions in so many of our churches is not to be explained by poor strategies or programs, but by poor worship because of who he is. Are we worshiping him in the fullness of who he is? So what was the son sent to do? We're not called to die for other people's sins, so that's, we know there's a line there. But what was he called to do? To seek and save the lost. Is that growing to be a sense of your identity too? And to the degree that it's not is to the degree that you're opening the door to some sterility in your Christian life, to dryness in your Christian life, because this is where the life of God is. It's, he has a missionary heart. There's a vibrancy. There's a life in that. And to the degree that we're not growing in that, this isn't a condemnation, it's an awakening, isn't it? This isn't God beating us up, it's just saying, there is so much more to me than you've, than you've seen. And I want to do so much more in your heart than you've experienced. 
So what are we sent to do? We're sent to seek out the lost and show them how to be saved. How was the son sent from the father? He, he was sent with a heart submitted to the father and for the father's glory. Is that what we're doing? He went in the authority of the father. He went dependent upon the father. So we should go submitted to Christ and for his glory, dependent upon Christ and the spirit and in the authority of God's word. Well, if that feels a little daunting, there's good news in the next verse. Third point is the risen Christ gives power. Jesus gives us power to do what we cannot do by ourselves. That power comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. He reminds us there of what God did when he made the first Adam, whose sin, sadly, sin and death, uh, we all inherited. So Jesus comes as the second or better or last Adam. And unlike, unlike the first Adam, Jesus gives life and life abundantly. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. God breathed into the first Adam. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. And did you notice, because, I mean, um, you know, sometimes zoom back out of the exposition that we're doing just in, in, in terms of a gospel book. Remember that, the, that, that in the original creation in Genesis, the Holy Spirit was very involved in bringing creation into being. And here it is again. There's a new creation taking place. And what is that new creation? It's the church. There is coming a day when there's going to be a perfectly new creation, heaven and earth, right? But do you know that right now you're part of the new creation as a Christian? And not just as an individual Christian, but as a gathered Christian, as a person connected to Christ and his church. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is offering here. And he said to them, receive the Spirit. But it wasn't just mere power he's speaking about. Christ's command, receive the Holy Spirit. It's not, oh, you guys, we're a continuationist church, so I hope this helps someone. If Maybe you're not continuationist. But this isn't a command to receive an additional gift. I, you know, I, I grew up in, a, in a, what I would call an unbiblically charismatic atmosphere, I believe God's giving us a biblical view of continuationism and the active presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the problems where we go wrong is we just see that the Holy Spirit is kind of this additional gift. Guys, he's not an additional gift. He is a continuation of the magnification of Jesus Christ as sent by the Father. This is a Trinitarian blessing, the gift of the Spirit. This is experiencing the fullness of Jesus in the Holy Spirit, in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Is this an early Pentecost? No, it doesn't seem to be because the disciples aren't empowered with boldness. In fact, just, a, in, just eight days later, they're scaredy cat, scaredy cat, scaredy cat again because they're, they bolted the doors again. Thomas is with them this time, right? So, so this, wasn't, this wasn't what God would do at Pentecost. Calvin said maybe it was breathing out upon them a foretaste of what they would receive in full at Pentecost. Others have said he was using symbolism to teach a parable that promises that Jesus would send them the person and work of the Holy Spirit that he had already been promising them in that last upper room kind of discourse that we spent so much time going through. 
And what is the Holy Spirit given to do? To empower us for ministry to one another and for mission to the world. That's what he does, all for the glory of Jesus. He's telling them that this gift of the Spirit is not optional. The gift of the Spirit is not optional. We need the Spirit to be fundamentally different people. Not just what we say and what we do. God wants to make us different. He wants to change us. They need it and we need the Spirit's presence and power to have the character of Christ. Starting with love. We need the Spirit's presence and power to speak the gospel in boldness and Christian compassion and courage. Starting with love. So when Jesus sends us, it's, guys, it's not as though he says, well, I've run my part of the race. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the gospel marathon, you know. And so Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to beam up. <laughs> and so here you go. Here's the gospel baton. You guys do the best you can. That's just not what the Great Commission is about. This is about Jesus passing the baton to us, and he goes with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Are you in need of power this morning? Maybe you you weren't so much in need of peace, but you feel weak and impotent. Your growth in the fruit of the Spirit has been negligible. Your experience of of the power of the Spirit for ministry and mission, you've just gotten dry. Do you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit this morning? And the last point is this, that the risen Christ gives us a proclamation. So when he gives us the scriptures, Jesus gives us the authority to proclaim. So it's that thing, whoever sins you forgive will be forgiven, whoever sins you don't forgive, will not be forgiven. What is that about? Well, it's about gospel proclamation. We have a message to give the world. Do you give this message to the world? What he's saying here is that we have been given the gospel and we can have a joyful certainty to tell people that based on God's word, whoever trusts Christ as their Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. It's the authority of God's, in the authority of God's word, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. And we also have a brokenhearted certainty that if you've not trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the wrath of God remains on you. And if you die in that condition, there's no second chance. That's what he's saying. We're sent, we have power, and there's a proclamation that we give. I told Eric this this week, but I'm so grateful for our worship leaders. Guys, the time that they put in to planning and preparing, I don't know, that, that we probably should make this more under, known by you, because they're not listening to K-Love. Is K-Love still a thing? I don't I'm so old. They're, they're not listening to the, the Christian contemporary radio station and, and have their notepad out and go, ooh, that's a good one. Let's do that this Sunday. Here's what they're doing. They know that you and I forget the gospel as much as we forget anything. They know that as we gather as a church, what do they do? There's a call to worship. 
then, then we move further. There's a confession of sin. And then we move further. There's an assurance of forgiveness. And then we move further and there's a surrender to be a part of the purposes of God in ministry and in mission. Every Sunday, notice that. They are living out, they are portraying, they're singing the gospel, getting us to sing the gospel with them. That's what he's saying here by this proclamation. And God uses Thomas as this closes to teach us this powerful, why the, the proclamation of the gospel is so powerful because unlike Thomas, following after him, you would be able to believe in Jesus without seeing him. Your eyes wouldn't, seeing him with your eyes would no longer be the necessary requirement to be saved. It would be seeing him by faith. Actually, it was always seeing him by faith. But the eyewitness accounts were very important as well. Doubting Thomas, you ever hear him called that? Is that where you are today? Does your doubt feel bigger than your faith today? Again, did you hear how Jesus addresses Thomas? And, and Thomas missed church last Sunday. Peace be with you. Did you know Jude 22 says, have mercy upon the doubting. Have mercy upon those who doubt. And that's what Jesus was perfectly demonstrating and living out here. Thomas had doubt probably for two reasons. He had a great failure. Any of you have doubts because of your failure. And, and he experienced, he put his hope in a, in a man that he thought was a Messiah who died on the cross as someone who was cursed. He had reason for, for doubting. We, we, we shouldn't be too, too hard on him. He wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. They go to him and they say, we've seen the Lord and he won't accept it at face value. He doesn't want to base something so important on just a few people. Maybe these are just emotional people. Maybe they're just having spiritual feelings. Maybe this wasn't a real resurrection. And Thomas didn't want to fail again either. You ever been there? You almost don't want to fail again so much you don't even try anymore. So he needed to be an eyewitness even to the point of putting his hands in Christ's scars. So the next Sunday, the disciples are together again. Doors are locked. Jesus appears. And, you know, Jesus knows what you're thinking. He knows, he knows what you've been thinking. He, knows, he just knows everything about you. Did you notice he didn't wait for Thomas to say, okay, Jesus, come here, I need to, I need to, I need to examine doing an examination, he goes right to Thomas. Not even, he already knew what he said. Thomas, here. I think we're, I think we're not seeing it right if you're seeing Jesus go, Thomas, here. Man. I did that too much to my boys when I was a dad, when I was doing daily daddying. I'd be exasperated with them. I'd prove things to them because I was impatient with them. Oh, not Jesus. Thomas, here. Look. It's real. 
I'm here. I'm risen. And then what does he tell Thomas? So you're, you're believing because you've seen. And Thomas, that's kind of probably a rebuke, right? A little bit of a rebuke. But when God rebukes you, it's always to restore you, okay? So here's what he's doing with Thomas. A little bit of a rebuke. So as to restore him and saying, but you know what, Thomas? I'm going to use you as one of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And, and when we get to verses 29 and 30, remember it says, there were many signs that Jesus did. These were written so that you could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you could have life through him. Can you... What a, what a deal for Thomas. Here he is with all of his doubt and all of his failure and, and, and all of this just stuff, hesitancy, being given into his discouragement or to his depression. Jesus says, peace be with you. Hey, listen, I, give, I gave you plenty of reasons to keep believing in me, but I know you're doubting right now. So here's what I'm going to do. Listen, I, you, need to, you need to trust me. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work all things together for the good. And I'm actually going to use your need to be an eyewitness so that people at 2901 West Kansas Avenue in Midland, Texas could benefit from your eyewitness account that Jesus is risen. And that if you would believe in him, as the Christ, the, the one who manifested all that God does, and as the Son of God, as the one who manifests all that God is, you would have life in his name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship this King of kings and this Lord of lords who loves to give peace to us. Um, Marcus and Michelle, would you guys come up now? Guys, you know what? Um, I just really want to invite you. Eric, Eric's going to lead the team in singing one last song. And just want listen to the gospel contours of this song. Listen to how this is keep, it's keeping our eyes on Jesus. And there's much we've talked about today. You don't need to wait till the service is dismissed to come up for prayer. Come up and pray while people are singing. Come up and pray while the gospel truth is being sung over you. I'll be up here. Jan and I'll be up here for prayer. Um, uh, but don't, you don't have to wait. So who needs a restoration of their peace today, of the peace in Christ? Don't, don't be in, alone in it. Come and pray. Who needs power? Because you're just feeling as weak maybe as you've ever felt. Who needs purpose? Who needs to, oh my goodness. Oh, there is a reason for my life. And I want to be faithful to it. I want to, I want, I want, I want to be empowered to live on that purpose for God. Maybe you've never met Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're hearing today that if I believe in him and the price he paid for me, I could leave here forgiven. Wow. Come and pray with us. You can do that after service as well. If you're visiting with us today, I'll, I'll end up going back and hanging out in our little back foyer, back in that part of the building. And I'd love to meet you. That'd be a highlight of my day. 
the Lord bless you and keep you in his peace.